0: So, this morning, um, I just wanted to start looking at a scripture in Ephesians that, Ephesians 5. So, if you've got a Bible and you want to turn there, you can do that. Um, And the title of my message today is Who Wears the Pants? Now, (laughs) I hope you got the newsletter. It's a lovely photo there of a couple of people uh, with their pants on, of course, (laughs) as you would hope. But this is one of those questions that we often ask, especially when it comes to, to marriage, right? It's like, you know, honestly, who has not said or heard that saying, oh, she really wears the pants in that house, or who wears the pants in that house? As a symbol of being the boss or in charge. And and so where they sort of think about that, it's it's this eternal struggle which we've talked about, which is from the result of sin entering into the world. And what was that, if you remember... Rightly. It was now your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. That's what God said to Eve. In other words, the relationship between man and woman is broken. It's not how it should be, but he's going to rule over you. In other words, he's got the pants. But it's not what God wanted. This is something that was a result of the fall. And then the other side of it was the woman would want that. She would desire that. She want to have that control and power. But is this really how God wants us to live? So Ephesians 5 is is a passage that really talks about headship in a house. That's what we we, um, we really think about it as. Um, and I don't know if you've been a Christian long enough. You've probably heard this saying, you know, that you know the man is the spiritual head of the house. Now I've looked through the Bible and never found that in there ever the spiritual head of the house, because what that meant was that that there's this, I guess, two things that were bad. One is this um, either assumed authority in terms of godly things that a man somehow hears the voice of God more clearly than a woman, and so therefore makes all the spiritual decisions of the household. Now, there is great influence. As Steve was saying before, when men come to Christ, often the family follow. If you look at the statistics of your children coming to church, it's exactly the same. When you only have a wife coming to church, the kids following on in faith, the, the percentage is very low when it comes to the husband being involved. All of a sudden, the, the kids are more likely to come to church. And that's a lesson for you guys out there who are, are men that are slack. that they just want your wife to do all the spiritual lifting in your household, even though you're the spiritual head. But I cannot find anywhere that God says the man is the spiritual head of the household. And it would be ridiculous anyway, wouldn't it? You think about it. What that would mean is that a man who is not pursuing God and his wife is just loving on God, seeking him and serving him and praying, has a spiritual authority over a household? Does that make sense? What what if the husband's unsaved? Is he now the spiritual authority as though he can hear from God for the house? I don't think so. It just doesn't even make practical sense. Does the Bible talk about headship? Absolutely. But what I want to do is sort of unpack that a little bit this morning as we look through Ephesians and put it in context of what what does headship actually really mean. Is God speaking to something that... or Paul, through his letter, speaking to this church and saying this is the formal structure I want you to put in place in church, or is it something that's happening because he's speaking into the society that is there at the time? I spent a lot of time looking at culture a few weeks ago. What what it was like then for, for women to exist that they weren't very valued at all, in fact they were almost despised, and that is significant in what Paul is writing, because we will read it today often as this hierarchical arrangement that God's put in place in the church and Paul's writing into it, but at that time, the structure of the household is not like it is today. So I've got the whiteboard there, I'm just going to bring it over hopefully you'll be able to see what's on it um, to just show you what the family was like into which this letter was written in Ephesians I need a quieter whiteboard okay can people see that? All right. So this is called the Pater Familius. And Greek! Greek. <laughs> Nick the Greek knows what it means. <laughs> Basically, a father led family, right? And usually, this is how it was set up in, in, Ephes- in Ephesus right, at the time where he was writing this. So, normally, 20 to 30 people are in this family. All right, at the top you had the pater, or the F, father, and he was the god of the house, right? So think about this. This is the structure that's being written into, and what Paul is about to write is actually very um, uh, countercultural to what is happening in the family. We are looking in our culture, right? How do our families work? Most of them are fairly sort of... Um, yeah, blended, <laughs> messy, all sorts of things. There's lots of things happening. And and there's not really this same power, power structure as was back then, but I want you to really think about this. The father was at the top, the wife and kids there, and probably they had mistresses and stuff like that if, if they weren't Christians. Old soldiers, so there's a lot of old soldiers that fought in wars and stuff like that, um, that, that would be respond, be cared for by the P, pater, of this family. And then at the bottom you had slaves. The structure was very well defined. It was very hierarchical. So in other words, what would happen is the men would eat first, the women would serve them, and they could possibly sit in the same room while they're eating or they might be told to get lost. Get out, you're not eating with us. All right? Slaves, well, they were just like dogs. You could basically do whatever you wanted with them. Um, They were there for your benefit. And the old soldiers are just caring for them, so they're probably just, you know, those hangers-on that you get at parties, they're just there. <laughs> no one really cares, but someone's got to feed them. All right. <laughs> Maybe that's just my party. <laughs> nah, not really. So think about that as a structure. And we're going to start looking through Ephesians 5 now. And what I really want to break down, firstly, is what does head mean in this passage? because we can have all different ideas of what head might mean, and if we don't put it in the right context, we're going to get the wrong meaning. What do I mean by that? Okay. Head could mean my head. Yes? Head could mean like the head of a river, the start of the river, the source of, where it flows out of. Head might mean authority. Head might mean head them off at the pass, so you go around and you stop them where they're going so you actually do it head could mean pressure from uh, a water tank so they talk about pressure in terms of the head how many bars of pressure come from that tank which is due to how high it is from the ground and gravity acts there's lots of different meanings right so what i want to challenge is are we thinking of head in the right way what does the bible really mean by it what does even jesus being the head of the church mean because Obviously, he is our boss, right? We've made him our boss. We've submitted to Christ. And, and so now we want to do what is pleasing to him. So let's start with Ephesians chapter 5. And what we're going to do is sort of do a little bit of a review of the first part of that chapter, if we could get those verses up. Not the verses up, the power, those things, whatever they are. Dot points, thank you very much. <laughs> All right. So this is basically as we're reading through Ephesians 5 from verse 1 down. This is what it's telling us to do. Imitate God and live a love-filled life like Christ. In other words, we're to be servants. Don't be greedy adulterate, idolatrous or commit sexual sin. Our bodies do not belong to us, they belong to God. And sexual sin is wrong. God wants sex to be inside marriage with the person we're married to. And he doesn't want us to be um, promiscuous and doing things like that, all right? Don't excuse them either. This is another thing that's in that passage. Don't just say, yeah, it's all right. It's actually not all right. This is something that, that is actually damaging to your relationship with God because they do have eternal consequences. If you are worshipping, for example, any, anything else apart from God, you're an idolatry and you're not really worshipping God. So, of course, if you don't believe in God and worship Him, you don't belong to Him. So they have eternal consequences live wisely and please the Lord as you are people of life. Okay, so it starts off really talking about how is the attitude meant to be? It's meant to be like Jesus, right? And we know that Jesus was, or is, the name above all names, he's the greatest of all. Yet, He gave up everything to come and serve us. So think of it in these terms. So if you're starting to read through that chapter, what is it that God's asking us to do? He's asking us to imitate Christ. In other words, we're to have this heart of servantship like Christ to the point of giving our lives up as He gave up His life for the church. Now, this is how we think of authority. I'm just going to sort of set this up a little bit. The authority is in charge and they get all the benefits, Right? And yet Jesus, at one stage, and, and um, he actually came and washed the disciples' feet. His position as head, he was washing feet. And so what he'd done was humble himself and came down to serve people, and he washed feet. And Peter was disgusted by this, and, and this is sometimes what we look at in, in, in terms of roles. We define roles as we like them for people. But the servant's role was to wash the feet. That's even lower than a woman in those days. That, that, that was their role, yet Jesus came down and he washed the feet of the disciples. He humbled himself to that point to serve, to lift up. And that should be our attitude as well, to wash the feet of others. Did he have a position that he should be doing that? Not at all yet he gave up everything he had because he is the source of life for everybody and he washed the feet. And Peter was indignant, one of the disciples, and he said, Jesus, you cannot wash our feet. And Jesus said, if you don't let me, it's bad. So just let me do it. And of course, Peter being how he is, he says, well, just wash all of me, God, or Jesus. It's funny how we do that sometimes too, isn't it? But he served to the point of becoming a slave at that time. So we're going to now read through um, the rest of Ephesians chapter 5. And we're just going to read through this. So verse 18 to 20, because this is setting up for what it looks like in the house. All right, we're putting this together. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So for us as as Christians, instead of living the other way with sexual immorality, and sometimes we, it's interesting the verses even that Shannon read out this morning, you know, don't, don't do what people do. Do different. Instead of going to the nightclub, spend some time in worship. Instead of Um, be engaging yourself in sexual sin, how about you gather together and encourage each other in the Lord and give thanks to God for everything? How about you do that instead? Let's go on to the next verse. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, I want you to hold that thought there. What are we called to do? Because this then goes into the relationship between husband and wife how it is often read as we read through these scriptures is that the woman has to submit and it stops there but right before that is this little bit of a verse right here further so apart from living in the spirit submit to one another who's to submit everyone to who to one another And especially in marriage, this applies. It's not like we then get to marriage and it's not like, no, wives and husbands don't have to submit to one another. The woman has to submit. Now, some of you will be out there going, well, that sounds really harsh, but that's the way we think sometimes. It really is. This is how we will read what we're about to read. The husband is the boss of the wife. He's the ultimate authority in a family. But it's not about that. So when we look at Jesus, the authority is gained because of his servant-hearted nature that changes us. And look what we're doing it for. We're submitting to one another out of what? (laughs) Reverence for Christ. So what he's saying is that when our attitude begins to change and we start to look at each other as the ones we love and that we, we should submit to, now submit again, we read that and what do we think? We think just give up all your rights and just do what you're told. That's submit, right? But it's out of reverence for Christ. And as we look a little bit later, when it talks about submission to each other, it's how the church submits to Christ. How does the church submit to Christ? Does Jesus come down and and tell us, you have to do this, put his foot on our head and say, come on, follow me? How do we submit to Christ? We make a decision in our heart that we're going to lower ourselves, we're going to lower our dreams and desires for the sake of another, which is obviously Jesus. And so when we're talking about submission to one another, it's exactly the same, that we are putting aside our own selfish motives and starting to think more about us. What's good for us? If we are not submitted to Christ in the first place, everything else will not follow in proper order. That is why it's foolish to say that the man is a spiritual head of the house and whatever he says goes because if he is not submitted to Christ, how possibly can we submit to that? For those of you who are young and not yet married, the first thing is, Think about this, if you are dating a non-Christian or someone who is not a believer in Jesus, that is the very first question you need to have answered because you will not be able to live in a marriage that is submitted to Christ if your husband is not a Christian. Because he is the final authority in everything that we do. We come together, we pray, we find the will of God in a circumstance together and work out what it is. Now, you might be married to a non-Christian do not divorce them or walk away. That's just all right. If they want to be with you, you love them, you stay with them, and you just continue to be a beautiful Christian. But if you are lucky enough that you are not married yet, don't be a fool and go and walk into a relationship that cannot be submitted to Christ. If, if the two, the husband and wife, become one, and one is not submitted to Christ, how can that relationship truly be submitted to Christ? Now, when we're young, it's okay because it's like the, the important questions are who's your favorite band? What did you do on the weekend? Things like that. They're, they're important questions, right? Oh, they're so funny, they're so muscly, they're so good looking, they play sports so well. Whatever it might be. They, these are the things, the questions that absorb our minds. But I'll tell you what, once you start to think think about something deeper, these are the questions that you need to ask. Are you a believer in Jesus? What do you think about abortion? What do you think about our kids going to Sunday school and growing up in church? What do you think about praying together about situations? What do you think about the things of God? What do you think about pornography? What do you think about, you name the list? Because there are a million things that someone who is not a Christian will not submit to that you should as a Christian as you're submitting to Christ. It's important, right? and probably there's some people out there that might have had a really bad bad relationship because they did marry a non-Christian. And not only that, there are many who have married a Christian who has not submitted to Christ, but says they're a believer, but do not follow after Jesus' example. And it will only work if they're submitted to Christ. Me and Joe were talking about it. But we'll, uh, we'll read the next verses, it's important. Okay, please go on. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That's fair. In the Greek, that, that submit is not there, it's for uh, wives to your husbands is how it's actually written. But we do read back up to the submit. So this is what I was saying, for wives, this is what it means. You are now Christians, but you still have to submit yourself to your husband. In other words, you voluntarily give up all of your rights so that you work together. The husband is the head of his wife. Sorry, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Okay, so willingly, how do you submit to the Lord? Willingly. Say, you know what, I'm going to work with my husband. I'm not going to be independent. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the saviour of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so, you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. Okay, let's hold it there. So, this word head is the one that we're looking at, right? Because this is where we get that thing that the husband is a spiritual head of the home. That's where we get it from. But it doesn't say that, does it? Head, what does that mean? And how is Christ the head of the church? So, the word head is kefale, all right? And it can have a number of meanings, it can mean authority, but what best suits here, head also means the source of life. Is this what it's talking about? The source or comes from, so it doesn't say in this passage here that um, God is the head of Christ. It does in another passage in the Bible, but it also doesn't list it out in a hierarchical order. It says um, the, the man is the head of the woman, Christ is the head of the man, um, God is head. Sorry, God is head of Christ. In um, now, I've got to try and find it. Maybe I can't find it right here. I haven't written it down. But it's not written in a hierarchical order. It talks about this headship, but it's the source of is the best fitted meaning for this passage. The source of. The source of, and and there is no doubt that Christ was sent into the world by the Father. We were made through the Word of Christ. Woman came out of man, the source of. But what does that mean in terms of Jesus being the head of the church? Because what we'll read is, yep, the husband is the boss of his wife. And I'm taking to extremes, for example, right? Not everyone thinks this way. You might even think about the authority who has the final say, etc. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, Husband is head of the wife. Christ is the head of the church, right? Let's have a little look at this. Um, in terms of Christ being the head. Can we go to the next one, please? This is talking about people who are not connected to Christ. And they're not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, as it, and it grows as God nourishes it. Does this look like a headship of authority and power and putting down? It's saying it gives life. He holds the body together. He gives life to it just as God nourishes the body. Okay, next one. God has put all things under the authority of Christ, so we've got two things there, authority, and as well as the authority that Christ has, what else has happened? He's made him the head of the church, right? So we've got two things there, all things under his authority, but he's also the head. Why would you say, all things are under the authority of Christ and, and he has been made the authority over all things for the benefit of the church? They're two different things that they're talking about. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So again, what are we seeing there? That the headship actually means that somehow he's giving life to this body. That's very different, isn't it? When you think of your responsibility as a husband, because as we continue reading in Ephesians, you will see how much the husband is meant to do. Let's keep reading that for husbands okay so let's go back first verse was what submit to one another for a wife this means what means submitting means submit to your husband for husbands what does submitting mean it's not taking away the submission the mutual submission to each other right it's going back up again to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ for husbands this means what means submitting to your wife means this all right For husband, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So first of all, husbands, in your submission, you're given a whole lot more things to do. Love your wife. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So give up your life for her. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Let's keep going. In the same way, husbands also ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Again, there's another thing. Husbands, think about your wife as being part of you. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man, another thing, the man leaves the father and mother, is joined to his wife and the two are united into what? One. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So, again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, the last thing, I think. Here's the difficulty. We often get this, this question well, who has the final say in the marriage? This is one of the questions that I often get. There has to be someone, doesn't there? Well, how about let, us, let, us, let it be Jesus? Has the final say. But I was talking with Jo about this and she said, Neil, I actually feel really secure to know that if there's a decision to be made, I can say, Neil, what do you think we should do? Nothing wrong with that. And I said to her, I agree with you. I said, but that can only work if I'm submitted to Christ. If I'm not submitted to Christ, my decision will not be based on the best thing for her, for a start. Because what's a man asked to do? Give up his life for his wife. In other words, I'm meant to make sure that Joe is prospered and Joe benefits, just as Christ is made the head of the church for the benefit of us. That, that if I'm going to be a source of life, the head of, the source of life for my wife, then I've got to think differently. It's not about me having the final say in anything because honestly, not all men are smart. Not all men think clearly, just as not all women do. Not all men are submitted to Christ, just as not all women are. And we need to submit together to Christ because we are one. Does that make sense? And so I said, that's absolutely fine. And it may be that that's just totally your choice as a family. If that's how you like to operate and, and you say, you know what, I want the husband to be the final say, great, that's not unbiblical. You've agreed together and you've said, we're stuck, you make the decision, nothing wrong with that. But what if the wife is an accountant and knows all their finances very well and the, and the husband goes and bets at the bookies and, and she says, what are we going to do with this money? You have the final decision, he's going to the TAB. <laughs> You're going to double the money, Good investment. But you can see what I'm saying. It's not like someone has to be in charge because they don't. that's not how Jesus works. That's not how we work. And Jesus said to his disciples, this is how the world works. Those who are in authority, lord it over those that are under their authority. But with you guys, it's going to be different. In fact, if you are in authority, the greatest is the least of all. The greatest is the one who serves. So even if as a husband you think you are the greatest, your position is now to serve which is exactly what this scripture is saying. And we can see why it's so radical when we think of this. A husband has final say in everything. In his household, he can put a slave, a wife, whatever he wants to death if he wants to, in this household. And Christ is coming in, and Paul is saying, Husbands, you need to change this. It's not about you being up here. It's about you loving your wife and giving up your life for her. That's radical when you are the dominant force in a household. Isn't that radical? But at the same time, he didn't want to upset the way things are working and and he didn't want ladies going, well, that's it, I've got this newfound freedom in Christ, blow you, mate, I'm out of here. He's saying, no, you also have this responsibility to submit as well. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's always about him. And inside of that, as long as we're reverencing Christ, anything goes. You might decide the husband makes the final say. That's great. You agree on it. And, and sometimes that's what it is with us. But I do get input from Joe, Sometimes when I don't want it. <laughs> but it's good. <laughs> she challenges the way I think. And if I was just let to run free, do whatever you want, I would do some dumb things. I would also do some good things. I'm not really really hopeless. Let's just straighten that up. But seeking God together, it's very different. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So who wears the pants? <laughs> Maybe there's just no pants to wear, right? <laughs> Maybe that's the key to true love, to true, wonderful, godly relationships, that everything is submitted to him. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, you never leave us, never forsake us. Lord, I just want to pray this morning that you would challenge us in terms of the way we think about life the way we think about submitting to one another and lord even the arrogance that we get sometimes lord to think we're better than just pray this week lord as we go out into it lord for your goodness to just be upon us and remain in us in jesus name amen okay guys we're we're going to have some music and singing and you can stand and sing with us also, we're going to have the front open for prayer. We, we always do this in this church, that if you want prayer for something and you're thinking, you know, I just need some prayer, come forward and get prayed for. There's no point sitting in your seat when you're desperate, right? And you're thinking, I just need prayer, but I'm too embarrassed, too ashamed, whatever. You know, like just come out, get some prayer. Let's see what God might do. Maybe it's healing, sickness for someone in your family. It really doesn't matter. You don't have to. What I'm saying is it's open for that. maybe this morning you've been listening to this message and you're like actually I'm not even a Christian at all Um, I'm actually more of that, the world that they've been talking about, the other but I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. I'm just going to pray for you I'm just going to pray if that's you you just pray along with me and um, come up the front afterwards or on your your chair there's a card, a green card lots of different things, you can put your name and you might tick on the back, there's a box that says, I gave my life to Jesus. You might want prayer for something, tick that. You might want to get baptised, tick that box. And over there, there's a basket just near the door, a bucket as you go out. Dump it in there and we'll get someone to get in contact with you. So I want to pray for you if that's you this morning. I'm just going to pray a prayer that just invites Jesus into your life. And if you do that this morning, make sure you talk to someone about it. A friend, a family member will come and talk to me. Even if it's not up here, just catch me in the cafe. If that's you, just pray with me now. Father God, I'm so sorry for rejecting you in my life. Just pray now in Jesus' name that you would just come in. Forgive me of my sin. Lord, I want to be yours from this day on. I want to live for you. I believe Jesus died for me. That his blood was shed for me. And he rose again to new life so that I can live differently to how I am now. Come in today in Jesus' name. Amen.